boards and CEOs increasingly expect their chief marketing officers to function as strategic partners, leveraging every available tool to uphold brand integrity, foster sustainability, harness the power of data analytics, and proactively anticipate market shifts and disruptions. Hello, I'm Jamie Washington, and my expertise lies in marketing and branding strategies that deliver significant profits. With a career spanning over two decades as a global CMO, I've had the privilege of collaborating with Fortune 500 giants like United Airlines, Dunkin' Donuts, Apple, RCA Records, Gillette, and many others. What you might not be aware of is that the brands you adore are actively seeking you out and strategically tailoring their marketing efforts to resonate with you. This visionary orchestration is driven by none other than the chief marketing officer. On this show, the CMO Connect with Jamie Washington, I delve deep into the realms of data, purpose, and the pivotal role played by the CMO. Let's go in. Meet Justin Steinman, the accomplished chief marketing officer at Definitive Healthcare. Justin is a wise, data-driven chief marketing officer, renowned for orchestrating profound business transformations. With a strong background for steering cross-functional teams, Justin boasts an extensive background in healthcare and enterprise software. As a visionary leader, Justin has overseen international multi-tiered teams entrusted with steering portfolio strategy, fostering product innovation, amplifying marketing efforts, driving sales initiatives, streamlining operations, and ensuring financial excellence. Justin also has a passion for nurturing and developing teams and organizations. I truly enjoyed speaking with Justin and learning more about Definitive Healthcare. Now, Definitive Healthcare has a net worth of $1.1 billion. They also have a passion of transforming data, analytics, and expertise into healthcare commercial intelligence. They are known for helping their clients uncover the right markets, opportunities, and people so they can help shape tomorrow's healthcare industry as a SaaS platform. In this interview, we talk about go-to-market planning and execution, product and development, market intelligence, and what is it like to really focus on your MQLs. Let's go in. I am so excited to have the amazing Justin Steinman, the CMO of Definitive Healthcare with me today. Justin, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here with me on today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Just more about CMOs and the life that we live. Um, So first of all, my first question, what brand was iconic to you at the age of 16 and why? So I can honestly tell you that's the first time I've ever been asked that question in an interview. So you get points for asking a unique question. I am a child of the 80s, which means I watched way too much Saturday morning cartoons and way too much NFL football with John Madden. So the two brands that stick out in my head would be Coke and McDonald's. 
right? And the reason that Coke and McDonald's stick out in my head is that, you know, I can still sing your jingles to you today. You deserve a Coke today. You know, so you just, uh, McDonald's, you know, have a Coke and a smile, right? You deserve a break today at McDonald's. Somewhere, someone out there is killing me. But I got my McDonald's jingles, my Coke jingles, and they were just these all like American brands that like spoke to me as a kid. Like who didn't want to go to McDonald's and have like a Big Mac and a Coke, right? Uh, And they were pervasive. I saw them on Saturday morning commercials, Mm -hmm. Saturday morning cartoons. And I saw them during my NFL football games. And, you know, I of course would go to the grocery mom and beg her to buy me Coke. So those are iconic brands for me. I love that. And with these iconic brands, you know, with McDonald's as well as Coke, where do you see them in your life today? Uh, in my personal life, as a nearly 50-year-old guy, they're not. Oh. Uh, I don't drink soda and I don't <laughs> eat fast food. But they're in my kids' lives. Uh, my kids drink soda and my freaking 13-year-old twins love themselves on McDonald's. Uh, and so I see them advertised there. But, uh, you know, it's interesting. I would wonder whether their portfolios have evolved uh, with me as I've aged, right? And I think that's kind of a classic problem with the fast food franchise. Right. I don't work in the fast food, I don't work in consumer, consumer goods, but as an observer, I would tell you, I think that's could be some other, some other challenges. Absolutely. And as you and I both know, it's really what you portray in the media. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm 43 and I don't eat McDonald's, but my right. kids can't pass a McDonald's. They want their Big Mac and their fries. You just can't. So they've done a good job, both Coke as well as McDonald's, wouldn't you say? I I would. And I actually would say they've done a good job. I would still think of them as all American brands. You don't really have a negative connotation with either one of those brands. They tend to sponsor holistic things like the Olympics. Who's going to be upset with the Olympics, right? And they've stayed away from really controversy. And even though they're both not necessarily the healthiest things in the world, their businesses still continue to grow and they continue to stay out of trouble. So I think they're still very two powerful, positive, iconic brands today. I just don't think I'm their target market anymore. And that's okay. Right. Yes. You know, I feel like for McDonald's as well as Coke, they're more consumer driven, which uh-huh. brings me into my next question. You know, what type of CMO are you? Do you feel that you are data driven? Are you, you know, purpose driven? Or are you consumer driven? And share a little bit with the audience on, you know, why you feel that you're that way. Yeah. So uh, I'm a B, I'm the B2B CMO. I've only worked in business to business. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always wanted to work in consumer. Cards has never played that way, never got the right opportunities. And, you know, as you get older, life kind of narrows down that path. So I'm a B2B CMO through and through. Out of those three options, I would tell you very much I am a data-driven CMO. And I think my team that works with me would tell you I'm a data-driven CMO as well. Uh, And it's all kinds of data. Uh, I can sit here right now and tell you the very details of our marketing funnel, MQLs, demos, leads, opportunities, wins, down to like by the segment, by the channel. And I review that data daily. But I also understand the bigger data of our business. You know, what's our annual recurring revenue? What's our run rate? What are our different costs? What's our customer growth rate? How do our finances do run? Because that gives me a seat at the table with the other executives on the leadership team 
when I'm not just the fonts and colors CMO guy, I am a business executive who can sit there and bring data about my organization to the leadership team, but also engage with the leadership team more broadly about how do we run our business because I'm bringing data and understanding of the broader company. Yes. And let's talk about the seat at the table because you just mentioned that. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of times we hear that CMOs don't have a seat at the table. We're not invited to the high level overarching strategy. <laughs> they usually don't call us in until it's okay. Let's let's find out what kind of uh, logo they <laughs> the marketing team wants to put on. You know this million dollar campaign we're getting ready to run. Sometimes we're not even in budget discussions. You know the CFO will just tell you what the budget is for this campaign, and then you're supposed to run with it. Can you share how have you in your um, you know, tenure as a CMO pushed your initiative and fought for your budget and fought for your team? So I've been really fortunate uh, in the two C CMO roles that I've had in my career. I spent about four years as CMO of GE Healthcare Digital, and I'm in my third, almost finished my third year here as CMO at Definitive Healthcare. And in both places, I was fortunate to have very collaborative, both CEOs and CFOs, who gave me the seat at the table and invited me to the table from the start. So unlike a lot of people, I never had to earn my seat. I very much appreciated my seat and I had to earn it and keep the keep it, right? And I had to demonstrate that, all right, if you're gonna grant me that seat, I'm gonna get good value and you're gonna get good value out of me. But I never had to elbow my way into the room. And believe me for that, I thank my lucky stars every day that I had those kind of leaders to work for and continue to work for. Uh, but now that I have that seat at the table, it's incumbent upon me to come prepared and contribute positively to the leadership of the organization. And so if we're talking about making an acquisition, and I know that we're looking at it, well, the CTO has got to come in and analyze the tech stack. Yeah. I've got to come in and say, hey, this is the overall market opportunity. Here's a total addressable market. Here are the needs of the customers. Here's where I think our product is falling short. If we do a gap analysis between our company and company X, mm -hmm. here's where I think they could fit into our portfolio. Here's this new customer base that we could potentially go after if we add that, right? Yes. I'm not. And so the CFO's crunching the numbers. He's looking for like synergy, you know, the sales leader's thinking, all right, where can I upsell text that? But that's where marketing brings it to the table. Uh, and if you notice, I didn't talk to you about, oh, I like their logo or we'll need to rebrand it. That stuff's off important don't get me wrong super important but it's further down the line and so i've always had that conversation when we set budgets here at definitive healthcare we sit down we're software and subscription business so we have really good pick visibility into our revenue for the next year we sit down as a leadership team and say okay if we invest x in marketing that means there's only going to be y for product and z for hr and you know a for engineering so great or do we take that away? And we're very collaborative as we set up the budgets. I always say that my job as the CMO is to get the best return on investment for our leadership team for whatever money they give me or we give me, right, as part of that. So if I get a million dollars or a hundred million dollars, I've got to 
most effectively deploy that on behalf of the definitive healthcare management team and the definitive healthcare corporation and our board and our shareholders to not waste that money mm -hmm. and drive leads, make it easier for our sales team to close, increase awareness, give them the right tools, you know, build that funnel, manage the funnel, all those different pieces. Uh, that's how I think of my job in the budget. I love that. I love that. And at Definitive Healthcare, as the CMO, do you mind sharing the organizational structure? Because CMOs, just depending if you are a small business or nonprofit or enterprise, our organizational structures are very different. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, even with being a consultant now, uh, like go into different organizations and they're I'm asked to actually build out the marketing um, teams. It re people think that it's a one-all be-all. It's a cookie cutter um, organization or org chart, but that's not really, you know, what it is. And I would love for you to be able to share with us, you know, what does Definitive Healthcare's organizational structure look like in, in the marketing team? Sure. Uh, so at DH, we are a small but mighty team. And I went with a very simple uh, structure. I have three VPs and each VP oversees a department. So we have someone who runs product marketing, someone who runs corporate marketing, and someone who runs marketing operations and demand generation. Okay. And the four of us run the team very, very collaboratively as we do everything, right? So our product marketing team owns really the positioning documents, the foundation of all of our storytelling. They work very close with product management on what does the product do? What are the feature functions? What are the benefits? What makes us different? First, only or best, right? Okay. They then translate that into positioning that the rest of the organization uses, and they build a ton of sales tools in collaboration with our sales team on what do you need? What do you want? Do you need objection handling documents? Do you need new presentations? Do you need new data sheets? Do you need new demos? That's kind of where product marketing sets. Our corporate marketing team owns our overall brand, our look and feel, our website, social media, including our award-winning definitive, definitively speaking podcast, Go Us, woohoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, as well as all of the content generation. So we do a huge amount of inbound marketing. And in order to get that, you've got to feed the Google beast. Oh. And yeah, exactly. Feed the, and it's always hungry, always hungry. <laughs> and so- that team is actually very sophisticated. I got to give them a lot of credit for the engine they've built, which is they figure out what people are searching for. And then we write content to target that. Wow. And it's very quantitative saying, okay, people are searching for top hospitals in New York. So then we'll publish a top 10 hospitals list in New York. Yeah. And then you can just play that right down the line. And so when you go and you search for that, uh, pops definitive healthcare, click here. And so we pump out a lot of content and those folks are just constantly writing. Uh, we also own internal communications for DH here. Okay. And so that team also helps with all the internal communications with when you have nearly a thousand people, internal communications is really important. Yeah. You know, get everybody in the organization on the same page. We're global. We've got folks in Sweden. We've got folks in India, we've got folks in Framingham, Massachusetts. How do we get all thousand people on the same page? That's an important part. And then, Last but not least, certainly not least, is our demand gen and marketing operations team. Okay. And our demand gen team, they own the numbers, right? And so even though they need corporate marketing and they need product marketing, because I can get 100 people to a webinar, but if I got nothing to say to them, <laughs> uh, what are they going to do? Right. But 
that team partners with our sales team, in particular, our inside sales organization, to go off and get the number of free trials and a number of go-to events or marketing outbound leads, and then work them through the funnel. Uh, and then the other piece that sits with them is we've got our tech stack, right? Like everything else, marketing these days is very technology driven. Yes. And because tech is so important to driving demand, I've always wanted to have those two functions under one common leader. And I will brag and tell you, I've got a killer leader running that function. I'm not going to tell your name because I don't want people to come after her. She's yes. the best. <laughs> uh, but she has built a scalable tech stack and scalable engine that just pumps out those leads every month and so that we hit our number and our commitment back to the rest of the definitive healthcare organization. And so that's how I organize it, really three functions or three teams. Wow. Oh my goodness, Justin. So one of the things that I was intrigued because just to let you know, I trolled you um, <laughs> <laughs> all on social um, because my team, I sent them on a mission and I said, I want to talk to the best CMOs that you can find. And just to kind of let you know, you know, there's this list that comes out, which we probably, you've probably seen, which is Forbes 150 most influential uh, CMOs. And a few of my friends are actually on that list. So kudos to them. But it's really easy when you have a hundred million plus budget. You know, it's- Yes. It's easy to say, Jamie, Justin, you know, that, um, you know, commercial that we ran, you know, Super Bowl Sunday really worked for us. Thought you said that didn't work. But like, yeah, well, if you have six million, you know, for a commercial, <laughs> a 45 second commercial for the Super Bowl, I would hope it would work. <laughs> I hope so. But everyone doesn't have that type of budget and those type of resources. And one of the things that I was so intrigued by you, Justin, is that your team has created a webinar funnel and I couldn't find another MarTech stack that deals with healthcare that did that. And I don't want you to give too many secrets, <laughs> but I would love if you would just unpack that and share with us maybe a little bit of where that came from, that innovative idea and why you decided to run with it and you know, cause it's made, it's highly successful today. Thank you. Thank you. So it's, the, it was really the whole team came together for it and it's right. We're working on a very limited budget, right? So we are, you know, a roughly $250 million a year business. I don't have tons of tons of money to spend on marketing, mm -hmm. but what I do have is I have a core asset that is really interesting. And I happen to be very lucky in the fact that my job is to market to sales and marketing people about data and healthcare data. <laughs> and so I'm really passionate about this topic and we have the best commercial database of the entire healthcare ecosystem that exists, period, end of story. Mm. And so we've mapped every single player in the healthcare system with our definitive ID. We understand their relationships and you could ask me any sort of question about, you know, 
how many babies were born in Houston in July. And we could tell you, we could tell you what hospital, where there are surgical ambulatory facilities, hospitals, which doctors, who paid for that, uh, where those doctors practice and on and on and on. So we're selling to people who want to sell into healthcare, right? Our value prop is we help you understand, compete and win in the healthcare market. So what can we do? We have an idea if we start doing how-to webinars, right? All right. Yeah. How do you find the people who need your services? How do you sell into a hospital? How do you sell into hospital food services? How do you find, uh, you know, hospital construction, you know, plans? Flash, the answer is by definitive healthcare, right? <laughs> we have all that. But the idea is people, when you market with a how-to webinar series, you're getting people to a problem. You're, we're not trying to be like industry thought leaders. We're like geniuses. Da, 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 da. No, no. We're like, you got problems. Like you got to sell. So we're going to, my job is to make your job easier. And so we don't get thousands and thousands of people because I'm not bringing big brand name speakers onto our webinars. We'll have like our product marketing managers or our heads of demand generation saying, how do you build a marketing campaign? Because lots of people don't know that. They don't. And so I will get, 40 highly qualified people who are legitimately like interested in learning something. And then, you know, almost all 40 of them convert into an MQL because we showed value to them versus having, you know, a thought leadership where we pontificate on the healthcare system, which while interesting and we could do, I do a little of that in the, the podcast. That's more fun where I get like really interesting people to come talk to me. Right. But the webinars are, you know, really hammering and I don't mind giving that secret away because nobody can do what we do in healthcare. Right. But there are a ton of people marketing things that aren't my competitors. So if you spend your time out there marketing how to, and you get the right people and your message to everybody, ours is very simple. We help you solve your problem. Done. Right. What's your problem? That's, that's all I want to do for you. And that's our secret. I love it. I hope everyone who is listening that this is one of the most innovative solutions. And if you feel that you're, you don't have the budget, I hope you will rewind this podcast and take notes at exactly what Justin said. This could be used for that nonprofit that feels they have no budget. Start a webinar and I love what you say, bring value. Sometimes people think it's about selling, 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 but it's not, bring the value. So that brings me to my next question, Justin. Where do you see the marketing industry in 10 years? What do you feel would be different? And what do you feel would be the same? So it's a great question. Uh, I will go back for one thing a second. And you said, bring the value. I also would tell you not to obsess about numbers because oh. I can get a thousand people on a webinar. I could do that tomorrow. I might have nothing to say to them and that may be the thousand wrong people. I'd rather go to my CEO and say, I got 40 highly qualified people on the webinar and 39 converted to an MQL versus I had a thousand people on the webinar because the next question is going to ask me, how many converted to an MQL? And I'll be like, two, <laughs> right? And so it, it ain't the number, it's the right people. And you got to have confidence in that. Uh, getting back to the question that you just asked me, where do I see marketing in 10 years? Well, some, some things will still be very much the same. At the end of the day, the job of marketing is to identify the value of your company 
and communicate it clearly and simply to your potential customers and prospects, right? Mm -hmm. And then keep your customers engaged. At the very end of the day, that's what we do. If you communicate your value clearly, you'll be able to do everything else. You need a strong brand. You'll need to be doing lead generation. Where I think things are going to change a little bit is I think we're at the very early innings, maybe the third inning if I'm a huge baseball guy, maybe the third inning, bottom of the third in this personalization journey that we're going on. And I think we're starting to see the power of technology and personalization. Because if you fast rewind 10 years ago, you know, we were still doing some billboard advertising. We, we had maybe a web a URL on the billboard that you drive by on the highway. Right. And then I could say, oh, well, I got 100 people to come to my URL. But, you know, you had no way of estimating. I mean, you could estimate, you know, McKinsey case study. How many people saw your billboard on I-95 on a Sunday afternoon, right? You can back back into your math. But, you know, now we're getting into much more uh, sophistication and personalization. You know, and you said you trolled me. Well, you know, we control all of our customers, right? And you see the follow ads and, you know, I go and I look up a book on Amazon and then, you know, I'm reading the Boston Globe online later and an ad for that book pops up. I'm going, all right, that's weird. Retargeting is real. (laughs) Retargeting is very real. Uh, And so... I think you're going to see a lot more personalization and surrounding through omni-channel. And you're going to continue to have to be more efficient than ever with your marketing dollars. Uh, Because even the big Super Bowl advertising that we talked about earlier, yeah, you can sort of quantify the ROI, you know, but, and Coinbase tried to do it a little while ago with the QR code that they ran in the little thing and everybody screened it. But even then, like, I saw that ad, but I never screened on it. I didn't click on it, so I didn't show up. But it's still stuck in my head, but maybe I'm a marketing nerd, so that's why it's stuck in my head. But I think you'll see more integration. I think the movement of streaming, for example, and being able to buy ads on Hulu and Netflix and stuff like that, and the personalization there, I think that might make TV advertising affordable for someone like me because I'll be able to go to Netflix and be like, all right, I want everybody who has healthcare in their job title and if they're buying the lowest streaming version, ad streaming version of Netflix, can I show them an ad during these, like, you know, tier four rated shows? I can't afford, like, you know, Game of Thrones, right, or Stranger Things, but maybe I can afford something like a lower streaming thing. But that will be personalization and more customization and flexibility uh, of where I think some of that stuff is going. Okay. Oh, my. Yes, I agree. Now, just for my listening audience, you know, we've been talking about MQLs and I, I you know, that's just our language, but just want to make sure <laughs> that people know that that's marketing qualified leads. And, you know, with your MQLs, do you feel with where marketing is going, which is more personalization, that we would have more qualitative MQLs versus having more quantitative MQLs and then the sales team and the inbound team are having to decipher and kind of, you know, as they start at the top of the funnel and go down, do you feel that we need more marketing executives, sales engineers to help funnel through because we would be doing more personalization? Or do you feel that because it's more personalized, we are going to have more qualitative MQLs that are going to then convert at a higher rate. 
definitely the latter. Like you get, you're always going to get more leverage from marketing than you're going to get from sales. Sales is one-to-one. It's hand-to-hand combat, right? right? We're one-to-many. And so even today, you know, one of my success metrics is the number of MQLs that convert to demos. So an, an MQL is someone who comes to a webinar or comes to our site and requests a free trial. And again, I said earlier, I can get you a thousand people like that. I love they might be the wrong thousand people. And so to me, I don't set these crazy MQL targets, but I do set a very aggressive MQL to demo and demo to sales opportunity conversion targets. And that's really what I watch because those are the ultimate arbiter of the quality of the job that our marketing team is doing. If our MQL to demo conversion rate is high and then our demo to opportunity rate is high, then I say, okay, we're bringing the right people in. And then I measure the performance of our inbound free trials and our marketing outbound webinar stuff against the conversion rates of our SDRs and our sales executives, SDR being a sales development representative or an internal sales rep. And I measure their demo to opportunity conversion, right? Because I wanna see, am I doing a better job bringing people in than the people they're cold calling, right? And if I'm not, then you know what? You should shut down my budget and give more money to the salespeople because they're getting to the right people or you should fire me and get a new CMO who can get it there, right? But you know, my metrics, my goal is to make the sales team's job easier. If right. I can get them highly qualified people that they can just pick up the phone and schedule a demo, or even better, we just put new functionality on our website where you can schedule your own demo. You come to my website, you sign up, and you click say schedule here. And then all I have to do is just make sure that I can have a rep on the phone at the time you pick. Yes. Like that's the next generation. And if our CROs looking nice, going great, Justin, he goes, you're handing me demos. Thank you. I'm going to go focus on the high value close, right? If I can move yeah. our sales team to focus on the bottom of the funnel and bring in the revenue, because I'm taking the top of funnel off their plate, that's a total victory. It is. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. And you mentioned, um, want to go on ask you to unpack the MQLs to demo and the demo to opportunity. If there was someone listening that was, didn't know how to look at those metrics right now, what would be, you know, a a metric that you could give them to say, you know, this, this would be a a great metric to, to try to achieve. Are we saying, you know, with, Maybe you use it as well as a thousand MQLs. Like you could get that like right now. So you can get a thousand people on a webinar. What would be an ideal conversion rate for someone who's interested in possibly doing, you know, exactly modeling? Not exactly. Yeah. No one can do exactly what definitive healthcare is doing. But if they were interested in modeling, let's say it was a nonprofit and they wanted yeah. this. Yes. I'd say, you know, so first off, I would tell you every company probably has this data to start and just sit down and crunch your numbers and come up with where you are because you've been doing this and so you've been generating leads and you'll see what your conversion rate is. The problem is most people don't actually aggregate it and sit down and do the math. If you sit down and do the math, you'll figure out what your opportunity is and what the number is. Here, we target about a 40% MQL to demo conversion rate. That's a ballpark. It changes by segment. Uh, We serve everything from, you know, biopharm and medical devices to a whole diversified range of industries, construction companies, staffing companies, medical supply companies. And so I have different demo conversion rates there. And then 
it even matters by size, you know, enterprise deals versus SMB deals. I have different ratios there as well. Wow. So I hesitate to give it, but all of my numbers, I can tell you, start from the fact that I do a 12 month trailing view and it's a rolling 12 month trailing view. And then I use that to benchmark as to where the numbers we need to get to are, because I've got that historical data. It ain't easy, but our marketing operations team is very talented and crunches those numbers and puts together spreadsheets that we then dive into, right? Uh, and another rule I have is don't ever come to my office and PowerPoint me. I want you to come to my office with a spreadsheet. And we're going to throw it up on the screen together. And we're going to dive into the numbers. <laughs> I love it. Does marketing build the brand or does marketing drive the business? Yes. Both. Uh, both. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I love that. You're the first person that said both. I yeah, love Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Um, if you weren't a CMO, Justin, what would you be? I'd be a high school English teacher. Tell me why. I love uh, it. So I have an undergraduate degree in English uh, <laughs> and history, and I read books. I love to read. Uh, and I would go, and I love to write. I just, I'm very, very passionate about writing. Okay. And I would love to go be working in a high school English class teaching the classics and the new classics, you know, uh, and helping kids learn how to write and communicate. And that's so important. It's so important. And we, we started at the top and we were talking about our kids and uh, my 14 year old, I noticed that, you know, inside of COVID, everything was more, you know, let's, you know, it was more digital even the books, he would read a book, but when it was time to write his essay, it was digital. It, it's something about the, the, the paper to pen that we're mm -hmm. losing and that our kids are losing. So, but you're a CMO, so they can't have you, but. <laughs> well, I, fe I feel bad for my kids, let me tell you, because my poor daughter just you know, did a full year of college application with me. And you think I wasn't tough on her essays, right? <laughs> and then my son, my middle son is a high school freshman. He paid me the best compliment ever in May. He said, dad, when I sit down to write, I hear your voice in my head, correcting my grammar, telling me to write in the active voice. And I'm like, you just wormed your way into my heart. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And, and you know, people just, that's another, maybe another time you and I could talk about being parents and be, be leading teams and leading, <laughs> leading a broad of kids. People have same skills. <laughs> same skills. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you, know, you like to read. And so that brings me to, you know, my next question. Uh, Spencer Stewart published a study that chief marketing officers usually have a lifespan of about 40 months at one job. Um, we also are known, chief, chief marketing officers, CMOs are known to be the worst in the C-suite. I have read so much about that we feel like we're in silos. We feel that, um, that you know, everyone is against us when it comes to our budget. I'd love to, you know, ask you about that article and if we could talk about it, you know, why is that the industry norm in your perspective? So I would tell you that that's not the industry norm. That's the industry average. And that means for everyone who's below 40 months, there's one who's above 40 months. 
I aspire to be the one who's above 40 months. Just so we're all perfectly clear as to where I want to sit on this one. Right. Uh, and I think the challenge is it's what kind of CMO do you want to be? Do you want to be an inclusive CMO? Do you want to be a transparent CMO? Do you want to invite people into the process or do you want to own the process? And they're uh, very different, right? Yes. Uh, one thing you have to keep in mind as a CMO and really in marketing is you're speaking on behalf of everybody in the company, right? If we're going to make a technology decision as to whether we're going to be on Amazon Web Services or Microsoft Azure, I am not qualified to offer an opinion on that. I have no idea. Our CTO is going to make that decision and I'm going to go with whatever he says, right? Right. But on the flip side, if I'm going to go off and talk about our company to the market, we went through an IPO here. It's very fortunately the company threw an IPO from the seat. Uh, I'm talking on behalf of our CTO. So doesn't he have a right to weigh in on what I'm saying about him? Yes. He does. And I've got to bring him along on the journey. I just can't walk up to him and slide a piece of paper and say, here's the new position and here's a new value prop and here's what definitive healthcare stands for. You like? Because <laughs> I guarantee it, human nature is you don't like that, right? I don't care if it's God's gift to positioning the best positioning in the world, which mine wasn't, right? But it, I don't care if it was, like, you're not going to like it. So you've got to bring people on the journey. Right. I said to you earlier, my job is to get the team their best return on investment. I publish my numbers, the lead funnel. We talk about it every Tuesday in our ELT meeting at about 10.06 a.m. Wow. Right? So, because that's where I am on the agenda. And so they know exactly how we're doing. What's our return? And, you know, if I can go in there and be like defensive, well, this happened, that happened. I'm like, hey, this is what's going on in the market. This is what I'm seeing. This is where I'm getting better. This is where we're, we are crushing it. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Nobody's perfect. No. Uh, and so if you're going to bring people along, I think the CMOs who be are above that 40 months are the ones who invite people along on the journey and expose and involve and seek out opinions. I see a lot of times a huge part of my job is synthesizing, right? Everybody's got an opinion. I'm the lucky guy who gets to talk on behalf of the company. There are only a few people actually get to talk on behalf of our company. It's like me and our CEO, like yes. think how awesome that is. What a privilege that is. So in return for that privilege, I've got to make sure that everybody feels good about what I'm saying. And that's how I think about it. So with cross collaboration, which is difficult at times mm -hmm. because for CMOs and even just the marketing teams, uh, it can appear that we are not speaking for everyone because mm -hmm. we have to synthesize. Mm -hmm. How do you as a leader get around that, Justin? It's a great question. And the answer is you gotta bring people on the journey, right? You gotta show them the steps. And so it takes a lot longer than I think you probably want or certainly longer than I want. Uh, but you know, I, well, a wise CMO who I worked for many years ago said, you know, Justin, you're better off getting to 80% of your destination with 100% of the people on board than getting to where you want to go to by yourself. Uh, <laughs> right. And so, you know, we did a, a massive rebrand as part of our IPO. 
Uh, we coined a new segment, healthcare commercial intelligence. We changed our vision. We changed our mission. We changed our entire look and feel. We changed our logo. We changed our product uh, visual identity. We changed our tone. I mean, the whole nine yards. And it was a, a nine month process where, you know, we not only showed the team, okay, here are five different flavors for the category we could be in. Here's a pros. Here's a cons. Let's talk about it. Okay, great. We aligned on healthcare commercial intelligence after, you know, could have been 40 minutes in our staff meeting. All right. So guys, last week you told me to go healthcare commercial intelligence. I went and I worked with our agency and this week we're going to come up. Here are three or four logo options that support that. Okay. Right. And you can pick. Now they didn't see the 17 different logo options. I picked the three or four that I can live with. Right. Right. So, Right, exactly. (laughs) But did they feel like they were on the journey? Yes. Did they feel like they were stair-stepped? I could have come in there and said, hey, guys, for the last month, you're in healthcare commercial. Here's your new logo. Here's a new vision. Here's a new mission. Go. But then they're not going to own it. Mm. And so you've got to have patience and you've got to realize that everybody needs to feel owned and invested. And then you know it's a success because we launched healthcare commercial intelligence. It'll it's been two years now, and I've yet to have one member of the ELT, you know, knock on wood, come into my office in those two years and be like, you know, I think we're in the wrong category. I think we need to change something. Hasn't happened. Wow. Right. Which means that we got everybody on the journey. Everybody feels invested in it, and so. That's why everybody can go off and talk about we're the industry leader in healthcare commercial intelligence because they all feel like they own it. I love that. I love that. And Justin, you talk about commercial intelligence and I must say definitive healthcare is paving the way. Uh, Congratulations to you and your team. But I cannot let you go without asking you about AI. You know, AI is a big conversation, big topic. Will you share, I'm gonna ask you two questions about AI. I want your perspective on how to integrate AI. And then the second one would be, if you would if you would share with us, maybe how you are integrating AI into Definitive um, Healthcare's marketing strategy. Sure, so, you know, people are talking about AI, it's a little bit of the marketing term du jour. We've been doing data science and analytics for years. Uh, And AI even today is really just large language models taking advantage of supercomputers and a lot of computing processing in the cloud, right? And we like it and it can do some really cool human mimicry things. But uh, look, there's a lot of hype, it's good. People need something to talk about. We gotta sell newspapers, I got it. Uh, And so, but there are some benefits of it. Right. Uh, So, for example, we use a lot of data science and algorithms in our product to really generate insights on top of the data. So, for example, one of the things that we do, as I said, we have mapped the entire uh, healthcare industry. So every physician in our database has a definitive ID and we use AI, for example, to figure out which physicians are more likely to prescribe brand name drugs than generic drugs, which physicians are high prescribers, which physicians are low prescribers. We do that by collecting a lot of claims data, a lot of patient data, anonymized, so it's all de-identified. And then we run some algorithms on it to say that, you know, Dr. Jamie is twice as likely as Justin to prescribe a brand name drug. So if you're a large biopharma, 
that data is kind of useful to you, right? You're trying to figure who's going to prescribe your drug, right? So uh, that's one way that we build AI into our product. Okay. From a marketing perspective, you know, uh, some stuff we've been doing with AI has been years. We've been doing A-B testing for, I don't know, 20 years in the marketing industry. Uh, so we could talk about that as AI. Uh, but if you want to talk about chat GPT and stuff like that, one thing that we're doing is we're using it to solve what I call the blank sheet paper or a blank sheet problem. Okay. Uh, any marketer has ever been out there has had looked at that blank Microsoft Word screen and said, I have to write something. Where do I get started? <laughs> the most painful thing is typing those first three words. So uh, <laughs> we use chat GPT for some of our healthcare insights, some of that Google beast feeding stuff, some of those blogs to say, write something. Our estimate is it's about 25% correct, maybe 30% correct, mm. but that's 30% less work that you're doing, right? Gets you off to a running start. <laughs> I, I always find it easier to edit something than to start writing from scratch. I know our writers do too. So we're using it for stuff like that. Uh, we're using it to kind of model out some of our demand generation funnels and predict where we think we're going to have thought have issues with that. So there's some of the areas where we're using uh, AI into in marketing. Today. I think we're in the early innings though. I think so as well. No. And, and I love that you brought out that we've been using AI. We've been using AI for years, AB yeah. um, but it's just now that it's more open to the public, everyone is up in arms and they feel we're going to, you know, the people are going to get rid of the whole marketing team. Everyone's going to be gone because AI <laughs> take over. And I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I don't either. I don't think so. <laughs> Justin, you know, you mentioned bringing people on a journey and you have, my friend, brought us on a journey today. If someone wanted to reach out to you to connect with you, what's the best place and how would they do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. That's just the easiest way to get to me. So absolutely. And we'll make sure that we put your LinkedIn um URL at the bottom of wherever this is going to be posted. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with me today. I really appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. I had a great time. Okay, thanks.